The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I want to talk to you about rotoballer.com. If you guys know me by now, you've listened long enough, you know I have my written content for DFS and other season-long fantasy products over at rotoballer.com. And if you're still grinding along in the NFL streets, season-long playoffs, DFS for the NFL, don't wait any longer. Go to rotoballer.com, get the NFL Premium Pass. Are you ready to dominate your season-long in DFS leagues? Rotoballer's NFL Premium Pass includes lineup tools, projections, and DFS cheat sheets for all formats. Get access to exclusive articles, DFS tools, lineup optimizers, and premium Slack chat rooms. I do the weekly DFS cash game values, even the, and then the Saturday even, doing some uh, extra previews for the, the week's DFS slates. Come check all that out and join in on the winning and take... 50% off any premium pass, not just football. If you want basketball, baseball's coming up, all that good stuff. 50% off any premium pass. Use my my promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off. So you get 60% off a premium pass. It's that simple. So get in, get ready, finish the NFL season in a strong, strong way with rotoballer.com, NFL premium pass, already at 50% off now. Use promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off when you purchase. Just visit rotoballer.com backslash radio, sign up today, and start rotoballing like a boss. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 422. We're going to talk some fantasy baseball, a little look back at 2021 with a look ahead to 2022. Talking with an NFBC veteran to help me do this. He had a monster 2021 season. If it wasn't for some Canadian named Phil Dussault, we'd probably be talking a lot more about this individual. You can find him on Twitter at the underscore guilds. Andrew, the guilds. How are we doing, man? Doing well, Bubba. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for joining me, man. It's uh, I'm glad we can make it work. It's uh, it's been fun following you and your success and your your skill. Like uh, you're just very, very, very talented when it comes to the NFBC world of fantasy baseball. And it's going to be fun to pick your brain for a little bit as we, uh, you know, we're not in the the lulls of fantasy baseball season, but it's obviously not the the high peaks of time. So it's good to strategize, see what went right, what went wrong, what we can improve for 2022. So I'd love to have a a person like yourself that did so well in 2021. Uh, and and in the past, obviously, to help uh, get us ready for 2022. So, um, real quick, just the, the brass tacks of it all. How well did you do in 2021? Because I know I know it was pretty darn good. But I don't have like the the rough numbers in front of me. I don't I don't need the cash numbers per se. I just need yeah. like how you finished. <laughs> so I did. Um, I had three main events. Uh, I finished. I won two of them. I came in like fifth in the other, but the overall, I finished ninth overall in, in the main on one of them. And then I did uh, four OCs, which I won every single one of those. And then I finished fourth overall in one of those OCs. So, yeah, fourth overall finish in the OC and, and the ninth uh, overall in the main. 
So good. yeah, it was. So I guess six out of the seven bigger leagues were, were big time. So yeah, it was it was a good year. Nice. <laughs> do you do a lot of the DCs and stuff to get ready for draft season, or do you kind of focus on the OCs and the mains? So the OC is more my bread and butter, to be honest with you. Um, okay. I've been playing in that since 2014. Um, the mains, I've been doing those for maybe three years now, I think. This is my third year. Um, but yeah, the, the OC is kind of where I specialize in. But uh, uh, DCs, I'll do those for like main, main event prep with the 15 teamers. Um, but I'm not, you know, I put, I'll put in three or four DCs if that. Um, just to kind of get, you know, the player pool, uh, yeah. just to get that knowledge and the 15 team field versus a 12. Um, but yeah, mostly it's, I'm an OC uh, and, and a main event guy now. So it's, it's funny because you hear so many nowadays, it seems like, oh, it's all about the 15 teams. It's all about this and that. And it's, I'm kind of in your, your neck of the woods there. I prefer playing in these 12 team leagues. I'm not sure. I don't know exactly why I feel, I guess I like the idea of, if you have to go to the waiver wire, there's options. I don't want to be like fishing for like this complete just crapshoot of what we have out there, which it does take a skill set. There's obviously a lot to that to do it, and it's it's doable. But I think there's something fun about still being able to pick up guys and have fun while you try to win money in fantasy baseball instead of like stressed out about things. Um, what is it that you see? Like you said, the OCs are your bread and butter compared to the main events, 12 versus 15. What do you see that differentiates it that kind of makes it more something that appeals to you? I just think, yeah, like you said, there's more kind of leeway in a draft room and a 12 teamer. Like with the main event uh, or 15 team leagues, if you don't draft like an actual winner at the draft table, you're going to have a tough time competing. Uh, like you said, the replacement value is not there on the waiver wire. Uh, a few bad injuries, your season could be shot. I mean, uh, there's just more flexibility in, in a 12 teamer. Uh, but not to say I do like the the challenge of the main events and and winning the draft at that draft table because you know when you walk out of there I mean at least I have a feeling whether or not you know you have some a contender on your hands, um, but yeah in, in the fifteen teamer you, you really need to draft that team at, at the draft uh, whereas a twelve teamer there's you know there's a lot more ways there's a lot more avenues to success um, whether it's the waiver wire or just uh, just the replacement value as a whole. I mean, it's night and day compared to, to the 15 teamers. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that point. That's very true. Because um, you know, you, you do 15 team leagues, and you, it's so true. You'll, you'll be even in the middle of your draft, going, "Crap! Like this is not where I wanted to be." Like I got to figure out a way to pull a rabbit out of my hat with these like last 10 picks to be comfortable come draft day. I mean, uh, opening day. Whereas a 12 teamer, it's like, okay, I missed out on this position, but oh wait, there's so much more I can do. I can pivot. I can do yeah. things and still build something. And if not, the waiver wire, you'll have more flexibility to open up. Um, speaking of the waiver wire, it's always a running joke between like Genstead and all these other guys, 12 team versus 15 teams. Like 15 is kind of – it's not always structured. You still look at bids and they're still crazy at times. But there's kind of more of a fluidity almost to a 15-team fab where 12s are just off the rails where you get some crazy yeah. numbers. And you say you do so many of these OCs and everything – how do you kind of navigate that uh, the, the the fab minefield? Because there's, I know you have to experience it. I do, and others. You'll put in a bid in your league, and you're like, that bid would have won in like twelve other leagues out of like the fifteen or whatever. How did this not happen? Like, it's yeah. so frustrating. But how do you navigate that? Yeah, there's there's no rhyme or reason to to the twelve teamer fabs. Uh, how I approach it is, I'm usually super aggressive on the waiver wire, so I don't care if I'm wasting money if I want a guy. I'm fine overbidding. You know, I'm not one of these guys that needs to have the most efficient bid. And you see all the screenshots. Oh, I won the guy by two. I don't mind winning a guy by 150. If that's if I get my guy, I don't care. Um, I just find it's easier to manage. You know, later on through the season, where you're getting guys for a dollar or two dollars. Um, so early on, I don't mind being aggressive, getting a guy because you know if you do get them early on, you get a whole full season you know, production versus, you know, a guy in July or August, you're only getting a couple months out of. So uh, I'm aggressive early on. Um, and uh, yeah, and for the main bids, I agree. It, it's, there's my first play in the main, I was bidding like way too aggressive because I was in that OC mindset. Yeah, It took a little bit of, you know, uh, time to see, okay, these guys are pretty much fluctuating between, you know, 20 to $40 per player. 
um, here in first year, I'm just going balls to the wall, just emptying my wallet. Um, so it, it takes on adjustment. Uh, definitely, there's definitely a difference between the uh, the OCs and the main event uh, bidding. So I think now I have a good sense of, of both and where they balance out pretty much. No, and that's so true because, um, uh, yeah, the 15s, I'm, I'm very – cautious bidding it seems like I, i'm afraid i'm afraid to lose my money i think because of the replacement value options like if you're out of cash yeah. or even in, in bigger yeah. drop problems we're in the 12s maybe that's why i i, I have more fun with it i do better because it's like last year in one league joey Votto's out there i'm like i'm spending a bunch of money to get joey Votto or like things like that where in other leagues you know you, you can kind of pick and choose where you want to make your battles type situation so i i like that when you say you're being a, you like to be aggressive is it like a particular position you're more aggressive in or is it just basically a team needs i'm assuming it's team needs because everything's so yeah. different but you know some people love to go early on those potential closers that you know 75 percent of them don't pan out type thing so what do you yeah. you choose to do yeah it's it's not really dependent on any position for me it's if i if i do feel like i missed out on closures early and i see one like last year uh, uh it was julian and Merriweather. Yep. um which was a mistake, but I went super aggressive for him just because I, I saw, you know, the possibility he could be the, the Jays closer. It looked like they wanted to use him in the ninth. Um, so I spent over 40% in Maine, in the main leagues. Um, uh, and I'll never forget, he, I think he pitched uh, one inning prior yeah. to getting hurt after I acquired him. So I essentially paid $400 out of my fab for one out. Um, so that didn't work out, but uh, yeah, that's not really dependent. Like Austin Riley was another guy. <laughs> I I bid like two thirty four early on, and the runner up was like thirty bucks, mm-hmm. which you know I don't mind. You know that was a twelve teamer also. But if I see a need uh, for my team, I'm I'm okay just bidding large, and I'll worry about you know the efficient bidding as we move along in the season. Well, because even in twelve team leagues, as the season goes on, there's so many more one dollar guys. So yeah. like you could you can fix that stuff makes more sense like you're saying I'll go get my guy early and I'll figure it out later. Obviously you don't want to run out of money because you can't do the zero zero dollar bids. But if you play it smart towards the end and by the end, unfortunately, some people have given up. You have other options like That's the thing, there's, yeah. So like there's like closers in July and August. I mean you get them for like a dollar on the wire yep. just because teams are already giving up. They abandon their teams. You're competing with maybe three or four other teams versus twelve right mm-hmm. in, in May. Um, so obviously the, the prices go down. Um, so it's pretty much relative. If I have, you know, under $200 in, in July, I'm fine with that. I'll make it work. Uh, you just want to have a little bit of something going into the final month, you know, 50 ish dollar. And I don't go too thin. You know, I'm not like crazy where I have $6 on you know, August 1st. Um, but yeah, it's just about, you know, efficient, uh, uh, bidding and being wise with the money after, if you spend big and, and you miss. Um, you just got to be a little more mindful of that as you move along in the season. And I love the point on uh, closers as the year goes on. It's something we've delved into a lot, me and Toby, on our shows and everything because we did a recap in the weekly fab, and you could see it as the season went on. And that's maybe that's one reason why I'm more cautious early on with spending on saves. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I, I, I tell the story. It worked for me with Liam Hendricks a couple of years ago with the A's. It was freaking amazing. But then there's always the stories like the Mayweathers and stuff where it's like, yeah, well, that didn't go so well. But, it, it, you know, you never know. So that's the beauty of it. But there are so many that if you want to get guys that get you five or six saves, you can for a buck later on. And, and those little bits go a long way. So mm-hmm. that's like one of the categories where you can kind of wait on compared to like other categories potentially. I know everyone says you can find power and all these other things, but you can. Just all depends. But um, I think that saves one. It's like the way the saves are going these days with so many committees and stuff, it might be an avenue towards um towards working with your fab type situation um in the fab realm of things 12 versus 15 we can compare that if you'd like um how easy is it to drop guys because that's one of the things so many of us have issues with is when do we know when to drop guys i know i've held them too long or i've dropped them too early i've, I've i'll never ever forget i've said it a million times on my show the year matt carpenter went nuts i dropped them before he went nuts and i will never ever forget that but those are the breaks so when do you kind of feel comfortable dropping guys yeah, I think just 12-teamers, much uh, quicker leash or shorter leash. I'm, you're churning a lot more in 12-teamers, whereas the 15-teamers, I mean, you have to have a little more patience just because, you know, the, the wire, the waiver wire is so barren, you know, with uh, any guys that are productive. So, 
you know, if you have a guy, you might want to wait a little bit. If they're getting every day at bats. I mean, a guy that's getting every day at bats in the main event, I mean, it's gold just in itself getting those at bats. Um, so you don't want to, you know, give up on a guy too soon. Um, Ian Happ was kind of that guy last year in the mains where he went through like a disaster slump. I was like, you know, he wasn't doing anything for a while, but yet he was still playing mostly every day. So that was a guy, you know, it was tough to just give up in the 15 reverse and 12 team there. I mean, he was long gone <laughs> on the wire. So, um, yeah, at bats, I think is the biggest difference between the, the mains and the 12 teamers where uh, playing time is so vital. Um, cause you know, you don't want to be starting platoon guys, which a lot of times can happen, uh, in a 15 team league where you're starting guys getting three, four games a week. Just behind the eight ball, you know, there's somebody in your league that's going to have five outfielders playing every day. So, um, yeah, those are yeah, count. Mindful of that. Yeah. Even if it's like you said, it's if, even if it's you know one player playing six games compared to four games, but he goes zero for four and two of the six. But those other four, like, it's just the whole dynamic can be so much bigger, at least in counting stats and everything, which it's something that it's talked about more and more, which is nice to see the at bats, the playing time, how to project playing time is the mystery of all mysteries. Like if you mm-hmm. can figure that out, you're awesome especially as like it's not even just closers now we're seeing more and more teams platooning. I'm a Giants fan. Their team platoon, they're turning into the Rays out here. The Dodgers do it. It's making it more and more difficult to find those studs that just run type situation. Yeah. Um, so that that's always a, a fun predicament. When you're looking at your drafts, and like we're jumping around the outline here, but, uh, um, but when you're looking at your drafts, we talked about, you know, the playing time. That's a thing. How cognizant are you to try to find players with multi-position eligibility compared to like, is it a big, is it just like, okay, if these guys are close, we're going this way, or is it something you kind of focus on? Because I know I might focus on it too much, but it's been such a chaotic last couple of seasons where it's been huge in, in, in season. So how do you approach multi-position guys? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't target them specifically. I do use it kind of like a tiebreaker if I'm between a couple of guys and uh, like you had on here, Chris Bryant, uh, who is it, versus Bregman. Bregman, yeah. And Bryant has the outfield eligibility. So to me, that would kind of move him past Bregman in that case. But uh, I think sometimes people overvalue it too also because mm-hmm. you don't want to be playing a guy who's not productive only because he has the multi-positions. And one guy that comes to mind is David Fletcher last year. Yeah. Went ahead in, in D.C., uh, and I might be seeing, and I didn't realize how big of a slump this guy went through in the middle of the season. I don't know if you're aware. He was like 10 for like 140. And I absorbed like every one of those at bats in my DC. Well, I had no healthy guys, but uh, you got to be careful with it's nice to have that flexibility, but you want guys that are productive with that flexibility. You know, like LeMahieu Le is, is a different story. Um, you're getting a guy that's productive at all these positions. So to me, that's a guy that it does create that more, more of that value with the extra positions. But uh, yeah, okay. again, I, I mean, I don't target those guys, but it, it's, it's something that I'll use as, as more of a tiebreaker than anything. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely something, like I said, I, I think I might overvalue at times, but it's just been such a weird couple of years, but I, I agree. Like it's the whole the idea, lines, you know, yeah. it's, uh, the cut lines is that's where it's really, yeah. It comes into play. I mean, you're, you're always trying to target those guys that can create those points in all these multiple positions. I mean, that format, I mean, that's, that's gold there, but as far as your typical Roto league, I mean, it's nice, you know, to, for injuries uh, to plug in and get the guy, yeah, pass for the guy, but yeah, it's not something I'm, you know, yeah. reaching uh, for in drafts. I'm, I'm with you there. What you did reach for in drafts last year was Varito, oh. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That was your boy. Um, was, yeah, and that was can can we say that was one of the reasons you were very successful last year? It was just yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. And I still got to get that the powder blue jersey. Oh, um, such a beautiful oh man! They need to wear those more often. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> it might be. I think it's my favorite jersey in baseball right now. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, but yeah, no, uh, he was a he was a main cog for sure. So I, he was my highest owned player across like every format. Um. OC's main DC's. I think I had something like forty percent Vlad across all my leagues. So yeah, nice. he was he was just a monster. <laughs> how how aggressive were you in drafts? Because we know his price tag was creeping up, but like, were you going like mid first round, late first round? What were you going with him? 
So in the OCs, he was being very, he was very undervalued early on. I mean, he was going like in the fifth round of OC. So I was more than happy jumping him around there. And as we got towards like the main drafts, he kind of, you know, he was elevated to like the third and maybe early third. So his price tag definitely went up in the mains, but I was always willing to take him at least a round higher than his ADP, especially in the OCs. That's why I had mostly him and, and uh, even in the mains. There's actually a funny story. So I had him in two of the three mains and the other main, I'm sitting there in the mid third round. So this is around pick 37, 38-ish. And Bellinger is on board, which was, cool. this was like 10 to 12 picks past his ADP. So the owner right before me, he's seen, seen that he needed a first baseman. So I'm like, all right, he's taking Bellinger. I'm just going to go Vlad across the board. Um, you know, I was just excited to, to, to click Vlad, just assuming Bellinger has gone right before me. And he takes Vlad before Bellinger. So I'm like, wow. Because, I mean, at that time, nobody was taking Bellinger, you know, after Vlad. I mean, it was always um, way earlier. Yeah at least 10, 12 picks before Vlad. So, yeah. so I'm like, all right, I guess I got to go belly here. And then uh, we know how that worked out. Yeah. So that was that was the main that didn't win. But uh, again, it's not only due to Vlad. There's, you know, I saw that thought uh, or somebody commented saying it was only due to Vlad. My season. I mean, there was a bunch of guys I was on that I hit on. Yeah. So Vlad just happened to be the, the, the number one guy. Yeah for me yeah uh, yeah no baseball such a long season it's not never one guy is going to yeah. win your season that's for darn Jeez. sure but yeah, uh, i saw that i'm like you know you're having yeah, rosters no. there's 23 23 man rosters you know yeah pitchers closer, I mean, yeah there's five there's pitching nine, categories there's... and five hitting categories yeah there's never one guy <laughs> i could show you hundreds of teams of black that did nothing last year yes exactly <laughs> well it's like the people uh tweeting out right now for fantasy football who drafted cooper cup and didn't make the playoffs it's impossible and i was like it's oh, probably yeah. not likely but i guarantee you there's some that missed the playoffs oh, i guarantee absolutely you. yeah <laughs> it's uh you have to still build a team that's that's the point of this game it's not just you know a one-off situation home run derby type deal but it helps you it definitely helps you and the the the, the reason i ask is because you go you went like you say, 40% of your team. So you're focused on getting Vlad, which is good. It's like we hear about some of these really like longtime veteran Hall of Fame NFC guys. Like they, they just walk into a room and they have a list of guys. Like I'm not going to care. I have my guys. This is what I'm picking from. And I've been trying to get myself to be more diligent in that and not just be like, hey, wow, this guy's falling. I got to like, he's three rounds yeah. later now. Like this is crazy. I, but I didn't like him. So why would I like him three rounds later scenario? That's right, the tough right. part. But, um, do you go in with like just a list of hey, like obviously you wanted Vlad last year? Is there always a list of a few guys like I want these guys on my team? Yep, yep. So there is. So you know, I'll do a lot of research and I'll use ADP kind of just to see what the you know, consensus is thinking of where players should be going in and where they're valuing these guys. And if I see you know a difference in the value of a guy that I really like that the public might perceive differently, those are the guys I like to target. So. Um, there are. I do try to key in, um, you know, a few guys uh, every year, and usually it's not guys going as high as Vlad. It's more in the middle rounds where I'm okay drafting a lot of these guys across all of my teams. Because if you miss, you know, it's a 10th, 11th, 12th round pick. Yeah. You know, that's not going to hurt you too bad. Uh, so Vlad was kind of the rare exception last year where I just had a really strong conviction on him and decided to just pretty much go all in. Yeah. So it worked. I mean. Um, but yeah, generally it's more guys in the middle rounds um, that I see. Uh, maybe it's a, an inefficiency in the marketplace, and uh, those are the guys I kind of key on. And I'm happy even jumping them a little bit in ADP just so I can secure that in those drafts. But um, yeah, so I do go in there with a few guys that I like to acquire. And even if you see my teams, not just Vlad, you'll see you know a few guys uh, across all teams that are you know same player. Um, yeah. Just something I'm with, I've done and it's worked. Yeah, I'm with you there. Like, and, and I like the point you made because most of mine are like around like pick 150 to two something, give or take. Like it's a yeah. it's deeper in drafts. And it's like okay, I I got a Marcus Stroman in almost every league last year. I'm like he's going to like pick two two to two twenty. I'm like that's ridiculous. Like I know he's yeah, not yeah. He, he's not like a that massive guy elite guy, but say, yeah. yeah, like the price tag was just silly for for what we were getting there, and he's bumped up a ton already this year. So and I still like this year. Yeah, uh, on the mains actually was Class A. Yeah. So if you remember, right, there was a lot of yep. um, uh, 
vagueness as to who the closer was in Cleveland, right? We had Krenchak, we had Whitgren, Klasse. Nobody really had a good handle on who was closing. Yep. You know, a lot of people thought it would be Krenchak. Nobody really knew. Uh, but Klasse was going like way, way too late. I mean, I was getting him in the rounds 22, 23. So essentially, I just drafted him in every one of those mains. Yep. And, you know, he turned into a monster. And then, I mean, yep. you got to hit on one of those guys late. And then it's it's easy to say that. But yeah, to me, he's the cheapest guy of the three. So why would I pay up for a Karinchak when I know Klasse has just as good a chance 10 rounds later, 12 rounds later to secure that job? Yeah. And like you said, of, it. Well, it's better to kind of go with those late guys as kind of your all-in guys because it's not a big pick. So if you have to drop them, you can drop them. It's not going to crush yeah, you. Yeah. If you go all-in on, say you go all-in on like Tyler O'Neill this year and he does not does not continue on this stretch, you're paying a second to third round price. That's going to crush. Like it's not going to lose your league. You can bounce back. It's going to crush you though. It's going to take a right. lot of work to come back from that. And see, that's so. kind of yeah. So to my strategy too, a lot is like you mentioned Tyler. I had a lot of O'Neill last year too. But I like going for the guys with the press values that had um, proven success in the league, right? Yep. So I want the guys that are going cheaper, but I know have that boom, that spike season in them, like a Bellinger. How yeah. you know, people are so down this year? It's like he's like pick one hundred right now. Yeah. I mean, he's young. You know, he was messing with his swing. He had the injuries. Would, would it t- would it surprise people that much if he goes back to his MVP caliber year two seasons? I mean. And you're getting that guy so late. That, that's kind of guy that I'm going to be jumping around, not just waiting to, you know, to target him. Well, that, that's such a great point because it's like so many people, early draft picks, it's your pain. Not all of them. Some guys are proven. But most of them, you're paying a bump in price because they had a career season. Yeah, so it's, it's like it's regression's natural. <laughs> to continue having a, a career season every year is tough. So you already got to predict. Like I still think Tyler O'Neill will be good, but is he second or third round good is the question. Like there's there's, there's discussion there. Uh, but yeah, like you mentioned Bellinger, Yelich going around the same area. I'm probably more comfortable with Bellinger than Yelich, but same theory. Like you got these guys that can produce. We've seen it. Can they do it again? Altuve is going super late. I know he's getting older, but he's still super productive. Like there's a lot of guys like that where if that's the whole point of these early drafts, like you say, you do, you do some DCs and stuff is to see where this is going. And you're just like, okay, I can kind of pivot now. I can do different things to make it work, which will, which will be quite kind of fun. Uh, you mentioned Klasse. And in this ever-evolving world of closers that are going crazy, are you aggressive early? Are you just a wait-and-get class A types and take your chances? How do you go about that? Yes, I kind of do think there's a blueprint to closers, and at least like in the 15-teamers, um, at least in the overall mindset. I feel like you really can't devote more than one early-ish pick on a closer. Um you're just losing too much in opportunity costs uh, by doing that. If you want to take two closers, like in the top eight rounds, one, you know, they're so hit or miss year to year. I mean, it's it's very likely not, you know, one of, if not both the guys, you know, aren't the closer halfway through the season. But I just think um, from like a game theory perspective, it's like there's going to be teams out there that hit on the classes, that hit on these closers going late. If you're wasting or if you're investing two top eight round picks on foot, you're you're behind that eight ball. You're you're behind those teams that hit on those closers late. So to me, it's like I'm gonna hit. I'm fine drafting, you know, you know, a top seven eight closer, you know, in the top ten rounds, just secure that one guy. Uh, but after that, I'm going spec closers. You know, I'll draft three four guys, you know, around fifteen plus. Um, just I I don't want to devote more than one you know, premium draft pick on a closer, essentially. Yeah, uh, especially I, I in, this climate, in this climate where, you know, closers are so fickle, you know, they're doing a lot of committees, like you said earlier. It's like, yeah. I really don't think that's optimal strategy to go more than maybe one closer in the top 10 rounds. Yeah, in these DC formats, I've like started to see the appeal if you wanted to, because then you just lock in your saves and don't have to play with it again. Given if the guy falls, that you're just in trouble again. Yeah. I get it there. In a redraft format, I'm, I'm I've always been get me one of my top like seven or eight, and then I'm gonna move on. Like I, last year, I was getting a ton of Iglesias or like Kenley Jansons or whatever, kind of the back end of those seven or eight, and then I just go and piece it together later, and it was it, it was okay. It worked out. So um, I, I cause, yeah, I can't too, yeah. invest that many. It's tough. And the overall component, I mean, that plays it plays a factor in here, right? Because you're, you're you're competing against all these hundreds and thousands of other teams. You kind of have to hit it 
right in a draft. And, you know, if you're investing too much in closers, there's other teams that aren't. And there's other teams that are going to hit on guys that you're not going to hit on. Uh, yeah. So to me, it's, and especially, like I said, in this climate now, it's, it's such a, a fickle position. Uh, you know, I'm not a gambling. I'm more than one guy in the top eight, nine, ten rounds. Yeah, and I and with like even the starting pitching landscape, it's so deep now because there's not as many guys going deep in games. So you get this bigger pool of like five, six inning guys that are usable or kind of better than streamable potentially. And so now you can get more offense early, get a close. Like you don't have to go super crazy. Like you can. Like do you go? Like I know Toby's Mister Pocket Aces. I've seen the appeal to it. I also see the appeal to waiting, especially a year like this year. How do you yeah. approach starting pitching in a draft? Yeah, so I was done the, the aces before it became cool with the pocket aces. So uh, the the rig, the original pocket aces. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just yeah. Before Toby coined that, um, to me, it was especially in the twelve teamers. That was always like the most optimal strategy. Just because you can, can almost build. you can almost stop drafting starting pitching for so long after that. Well, yeah. Plus, in the twelve teamers, you could build an offense so much easier. That True. to me, it was crazy not to draft those horses right at the top. Right, you're getting True. clutch. Big bats in rounds nine, ten, eleven. You know, I want to secure those those top end aces to go along uh, with that offense. So to me, it's even more imperative in the twelve teamers to to build that starting pitching base early and just load up on the bats after that. And you can still. That's how I my OC that finished fourth. I started out Degrom Bauer there, which is funny because the one thing I trailed in at the end was, was ratio. So, you know, if I had them the whole year, I feel like I would have had a good chance to take that yeah. tournament. But I still was able to build like a massive offense, you know, forfeiting mm-hmm. two picks on, on pitchers. So uh, it's just a different animal, I think, uh, 12 teamers and that you, yeah. you can find bats almost throughout the entire draft. Let's take a quick a break from this episode of Bench with Bubba. And I want to talk to you about Fantrax.com. Phenomenal way to play fantasy baseball. If you're new to Fantrax, you, you want to try it out. Like if you have leagues on other platforms that maybe you're frustrated with this and that, come over to Fantrax. It's free. Come check it out. Free premium, especially when you bring your old league over. You just show them your format. Boom. They set it up for you. Absolutely awesome stuff. It is a great format. It has Fully customizable, whatever you want, all the craziness. You can even have your leagues pay their fees right there. They'll hold the cash for you. Simple as that. So much fun over there at Fantrax.com. Deepest player pools. If you're into Dynasty, you want to be on Fantrax.com. It's absolutely great. So if you're new to Fantrax.com, use Fantrax.com backslash Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for a first-time sign-up. They'll get you all hooked up right there. If you have any questions, just hit me up. I'll set you up with the people. We'll get it taken care of. They are a great platform to play fantasy baseball. Hey, even fantasy football, basketball, college, NASCAR, golf. They have it all, people. Everything you want for your season-long sports. Fantrax.com. If you're new, Fantrax.com backslash Bubba. And even better, folks, you like Fernando Tatis Jr.? You should. Bad shoulder or not, you should like him because regardless of the shoulder, he can sign a baseball. If you're new to Fantrax.com, use Fantrax.com backslash Bubba. Then use promo code Tatis, T-A-T-I-S. You're injured to win a free autograph, Fernando Tatis Jr. Baseball. You're going to love it. Go to Fantrax.com backslash Bubba and get in, get action, play some Fantrax this year. You know, this is, this is why I'm, I'm really enjoying this discussion because like, uh, people know, to- I record Toby once a week, and a lot of it's 15-team base because that's what he focuses on. I like to play 12s a lot, so it's really nice to hear your kind of state viewpoint on it, which makes sense to me as well Is I think it's, it's for the more common player. I think 12 is much better. Obviously I think it's common sense. You don't really need to listen to this for that, but what, the way you're saying it, like you can build this really awesome team and still be okay. Where 15 teamers, like we've said already a few times, you can just be so lost in the weeds if you miss a pick or two and it just oh, yeah. really skews things up. So for just kind of common average player or just trying to get your feet wet in, in like NFBC, don't jump into the 15 team pool, like get used to this, this system. It's so much, so much better. I like that. Um, you can, because even like the waiver wire, I got, I got Votto last year. I got Jazz Chisholm in the league last year. Like you can yeah. find guys that are out there that, that'll, that'll help you out a ton. So I, I like that quite a bit. Um, what else went right for you last year? You had Classe, you had Vodito. Obviously, like we said, it's a long season. You got to have more than just that to win a league. So what was it? Was it a strategy you implied? Was it hitting big on certain things? What went right for you? Well, offensively, I would say I targeted not just Vlad, like all the Blue Jays. I had Bichette, Teoscar, Vlad, 
Kritchik, late also. I mean, it's funny. I mentioned this before. Like, stacking is not really a thing in baseball, but yep. that big team I had was stacked with Blue Jays. I just saw thought they were all going, you know. They had, like, five or six guys in the top ten on the Rasball Player Raider. They were insane yeah, last crazy. year. <laughs> Plus, you know, they were playing. They weren't they playing in Dunedin to begin yeah. the year there, too. I mean, that's just a launch. A bandbox, so. yeah. Yeah, and, I, and they were all going super like Teoscar. I got, I think, geez, it was like ninth, eighth, ninth round or something. It was ridiculous. But uh, Julio Urias was was another main piece. Um, that was another guy. That was one of the guys I was going and targeting. I just saw, you know, people were very concerned about his innings. Yeah, captain. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that. Yeah. I was so wrong on that one. Yeah, and to me, it was just like, okay, the only thing preventing him from hitting that ace, that top tier pitcher, is innings, right? His stuff's electric. He's on a team that's going to win 100-plus games. You know, if you can get 150-plus innings, you're getting, you know, an SP1, SP2 at worst probably. And sure enough, he even outproduced those numbers. But, uh, yeah, I was targeting him, and, and I just thought the market was too low. And that fear, innings fear, was was, was taking him way too low in drafts. So I was happy to, to jump him a little bit there. Yeah, I like that a lot. He's a guy, and I'm, I'm even confused on him now this year because he's threw so many games last year, such a bump from the year before. Yeah. It's like, man, like the dude's awesome. Like he's really good. Like, what do they do with them? I'm so lost. Like they let Walker Bueller run. And, I've, and, and this is where I'm messed up in the head mentally for, for fantasy is I've always believed they'll let Walker Bueller run. I was always worried about Urias. Now it's like, will they just let Urias do what yeah. Bueller did or do they bring him back? It's like, <laughs> it's so tough. But, it's uh, funny too when you, you talk about like Vlad and Urias now. It's like somebody asked me before, like Vlad was amazing for you. Are you gonna own much of him this year? I'm like, why not? No, not at all. Because he's going what top five, top six. And yeah. To me, I'm trying to find the next, the next Vlad in round four and five. Yeah. I, I want Vlad at, at number five yeah. overall. And that's <laughs> that's the key. That's the key is because the reason, like you said, you got Vlad, you got Urias. The reason why I got Stroman last year and other guys is you're looking at the, the misprices. Of guys, basically. Yeah. Now they could be like what I was saying with O'Neill, maybe a bit overpriced. Um, and so now it's like, do I really want to do that or do I not? Like the Teoscar is a great example. Uh, he had that monster uh, the twenty twenty, but people were like, oh, short season, this and that. So he still went around eight or nine. He backed it up. Now he's at, up to like round three for the most part. Now yeah. maybe round two. So it's like, do I take that price on Teoscar? Even though I just got like, it's just yet to weigh these things out. And now you got to find that next guy. Like you're saying, that's where it gets fun and trying to to figure it out and that's where you can win these leagues because everybody can go oh yeah vlad's a top five pick now okay cool right. but who's the next vlad as you said that's exactly. that's yeah. the ch- challenging gotta, part to make find those small edges in these draft rooms that's all <laughs> how without giving away all your secret sauce how do you go looking into finding those small edges uh yeah that's a good that's a good question so I, I see. I mean, I, I I try to look at the previous year too, and, and guys coming off down years. And if it's if it's injury, I look at age a lot too. And um, you know, if there were injuries that were impacting the player's performance, obviously, uh, like Zach Gallon's a guy who I'm pretty high on this year, yeah. and the market's super low. I think he's going like in the one thirties, one forties. I mean, this guy's one year removed from being the third round pick. Yep. Um, he had the arm issue. You know, I think. Knock on wood, everything should be should be good going into. It's just a weird year, set but... weird set of injuries last year. It's very bizarre. <laughs> yeah, but he had he had the two you know monster seasons yep. like a year, and he followed it up. So I mean, that's a guy that can easily go back. He could revert back to that form, mm-hmm. and you're getting a ridiculous discount. So those are the guys uh, I'm looking at and, and just trying to find that, that value uh, in drafts. Um, Kellenick's another guy which I'm super high on. Yeah. Uh, most of the market's down on, but. He has a profile that I love, especially in his overall tournaments. That speed, the power, the pedigree. Uh, he's got a depressed value right now somewhat. You know, he's going, what, 130, 140-ish around there. Yep. And to me, that's a guy that can easily be a top 15 outfielder in fantasy. Big time. You know, you look back next June, July, you're like, holy crap, I got this guy in round 12, like, and he's a monster. I mean, it takes time for some of these young guys to – to adjust to major league, he finished the season pretty good. Like he started yeah. to figure things out a little bit, which was good to see. And he went through like a really rough stretch there, like two Big months. Time. He was just yeah. terrible. I know because you know he was on a couple of my teams, but and plus I'm a Mets fan, so I use that too as another reason <laughs> for him to just 
go to the moon. Like, oh, yeah. somehow become a, win, win a batting title or become a perennial all-star now. But, no, I, I love that kid. I love his game. I think he's got a lot of moxie, and I see big things for him this year. So, that'll, that'll be good. He'll probably won't get him in any leagues now that I keep, you know, touting his name on all these times. But, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing we all know with clinic because it is funny like you he's a perfect example of last year he never even really played in the bigs and everybody was just drooling of when can i draft jared clinic and now it's like they saw him play and even though he yeah. finished pretty strong like i'm confident i'm in your camp where it's like i like the improvements i saw he's young he's young but the talent's ridiculous like he showed me improvements like another guy i'm big on that's going super late like really late right now and i might be crazy for it but i believe the pedigree is joe adele I might be crazy for that. He's going super late, and no one's talking about him. I think I've had him in every 50 I've done so far. Like, I just keep grabbing him as, like, my eighth outfielder. Like, no one's drafting him. Um, I could be wrong, but he's basically free. So it's those kind of guys where everyone's drooling about him one year. They have a rough Mm -hmm. go. God forbid, you know, a 23-year-old struggles in professional baseball. Especially 2020, didn't have a minor league season. Like, let's look at the whole picture here. And then, so Clinic's a great example. The thing I was going to say, though, it's funny, and you know it, too. You better draft them in, like, February. Because once he gets that first spring training home run, Yeah. No, yeah, that's it's a guy over. That's shoot, that's a guy that's going to shoot up boards. I know that. But, uh, yeah. yeah, just odd seeing where how low some of these guys are going right now. But, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a guy I'll be, uh, I'll be targeting. Yeah, there's definitely some interesting ones there. Um, you know, we talked about guys like that. What about positional scarcity? Like, everybody talks about third base. It's It's dreadful. Um, do you make a point to push up your your interest to get a guy like um, like him or like a third baseman early, or do you say screw it? I know my positions. I'm gonna draft these best available. Blah blah blah, and go get that. Yeah, I, I don't look at this, this scarcity too much. I mean, it's to me if if I don't see a huge drop off, let's say there's like nine or ten third basemen I like, you know, I'm, I'm content waiting for that eighth, ninth, tenth one to fall into my lap at some point. I'm not going to reach for, you know, the third or fourth one if I don't see much of a disparity between those players. So I'm fine playing that waiting game. You know, I don't want to wait too long. I don't want to be starting, you know, uh, a guy not even getting every day at bats or something at third base or like a a corner. You know, it's better used as a corner as my starting third baseman. So I do want to kind of, you know, to, to get that last of the tier uh, if you will, because um, yeah, it is kind of a gross position this year. I was looking at over that earlier. It's, it's after tough, nine or man. ten, it, it kind of falls off the cliff there, third base. So yeah, yeah. No, I'll definitely try to get one of those. I just don't really care which one it is. You know, yeah. if I don't love anyone in particular. And that's kind of what I've been trying to do in these early drafts. Is I I saw myself getting too aggressive. I felt on Devers because I really want stolen bases. I'm taking a guy early. He doesn't give them to me, but I know I can get stolen bases later. But then it kind of like already dictates your draft right out the gate, which is yeah. not always fun. Yeah, um, but at the same time, you don't want to play roulette, Russian roulette, and be like, oh no, like this is gonna suck yeah. here in a minute. So it's yeah. uh, it, it's, and, and it's you know, too yeah. speed. I'm I'm always conscious of the speed factor early in drafts. I'm not usually taking a guy that doesn't offer me at least something in stolen bases. So. Uh, yeah, third base is a tricky one this year too. With Mondesi, also, it's like where's where's he gonna go? It's, where, where do you where do you stand on a guy like Mondesi? Because God, dude, like I'm so intrigued by him because we know even in a hundred games he could basically potentially win you a league, and then you get to replace him with someone later. But it's still like you got to play that pick and pray he plays at least a hundred games. And that's yeah. that's the question mark. We didn't see it last year. We could easily see it this year. And he's going around, I think, like round three right now, give or take. So where do you sit on a guy like that? It's still pricey though to me. I yeah, mean, that's the problem. You got to pay a price to get them, and and you don't. You know, it's nice to get those fifty steals, but you don't need them to win these overalls. You know, you just got to be competitive in those categories. I think that's a common misconception where, you know, I need to, I need a hundred steals, hundred and twenty steals. I'm no, you don't. You just need to be in that eightieth percentile. You need to be competitive. You need to be, you know, the top three or four in your league. And then overall in that top, you know, 80%. Um, so you don't need, I do, I do love him as a player and it sucks mm-hmm. that he's always hurt. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would definitely take him if, if the price dictated that, but it's not a guy that I'm reaching for where I have in the past and he's burned me a couple of times, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, if he falls into a place where in third, fourth round, I would definitely consider it. 
third is probably a little too early for me still. I was, the fourth, I'd be hard-pressed to, to not take him there. So I think he's so like better. Like you said, too, you can replace, you know, those, yes. those games he misses, you're not getting zero production. You're able like to you're replace that. Yeah. Like you could fill it in with a as bad as he was, like an Alec Bomb or a Carter Keeban. If worse comes to worse, like you got a body you can put out there type situation. Right. Yeah. Um, or go draft Hunter Dozier because maybe he'll play third if Mondesi's down or something. And he plays whatever the outfield also. From, yeah. Whatever you get from Mondesi and your replacement is still going to be a, a monster awesome. stat yeah. line into the year. Right. So yeah. you just got to so hope Mondesi can play half the season at least. Exactly. It feels like he might be better fit for like a 12 teamer than a 15 because the replacement value you can get 15 okay. might stress you out a little more. <laughs> like it yeah. really put a, put a stress on your team where the 12, you can play that flexibility card. I think he's also really good in those DC formats because you're already drafting two or three other third basements. You're not worried about it. So it's like, Hey, run out there when I can run you out there. Otherwise I'm going to bring yeah. you in so much easier that way. Not, not the stress of having to add and drop and do all that kind of stuff. Um, what are you doing with depth of pitching this year? We, we already said you like to take the, the aces early, but like it, and uh, it's insanely deep. Like I'm still, I'm doing a 50 right now. I'm in around 40 and there's still guys out there. I'm like, I wouldn't buy, like we stream them all the time, all the time. Like it's a deep pool right now. Yeah, I, I think it is a deep pool. Is it the question I have to, I think everyone else will, it's just the, the, the amount of innings, like how many of these horses are going to give you now? I think the number is like 180. It used to be yeah. 200, right? Like yeah. how many guys can actually give you 180 innings pitched? And I still value those guys more, to, more so than any, you know, the middle, way more than the middle tier pitchers. But I still think you need a couple of those horses in this thing to, to win the overalls. Um, they just provide that huge base. Uh, and if you do get the, the 200 inning year, which is like a unicorn now, I, mean, I feel like you're ahead of the the eight ball there. So um, yeah, I do like, you know, investing premium pitching early for sure. You know, take a break, bang out those bats, and then I'll attack that pitching again in those middle rounds. And then you like hopefully a, find the Strowmans and a couple aces, the Urias, those guys. Urias is clutch. You want to find the aces also in, in rounds eight through, you know, 12. That's well, that's big. Really, like, you know, like yeah. the guys that found the Robbie Rays last year and those guys exactly, like yeah. – like that's insane. I got and you're not gonna find a Cy Young Award winner every time. That's not gonna happen. But yeah, like you said, the aces. Even on a, even a professional team's SP two could be an ace for your fantasy team. So sure. yeah, those and, those and type of we, we see guys. It's not like I mean, we see guys come out of nowhere and have these huge ace ace like seasons. So I mean, it happens. You just gotta be on the right guys. So uh, to me, that's always my plan is going into drafts. Is all right. We know that the known commodities at the top, the Broms, you know. Scherzer's, those guys. It's you know hitting on the Robbie Rays. Those are the guys that are really that's how you win teams leagues. in the overalls. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of a couple of guys, they're they're not on the outline, but you mentioned one of them for sure. And you, you as a Mets fan, I want to get your thoughts on this. Jacob Degrom. What I know the, the ideal answer is we need to know more. That's the ideal answer. Like what is going on there? I want to see him throw a few times, like type thing. Ideally, that's what it is. But in this crazy world we live in, we're drafting like now so what are you doing like say you start drafting in january football season's over you're gonna start dipping your toe in the water how are you approaching the grom and drafts wow yeah see i still can't pass on him anywhere in a second round where's i don't even know where he's going in current he's season. for the most part he's back end of one sometimes i've seen him fall into two like i, I can't do it i pass by him every time like i love Degrom. you know it i know it if he yeah. is Degrom, he wins your league like that's what he does but yeah, that's a waste of a pick if it doesn't happen. <laughs> it is. Yeah, you know, I'm always looking at what could happen. Really. Yeah, and see, that's there's a good so philosophy because there's so many cautious drafters out there. Like so many. Yeah. I'm guilty of it a lot. Um, the what if? That's how you win overalls. At least you, you got to go for the. Like I'm a DFS guy, so to me, the overalls a GPP. You got to take your chances. Look for the ceiling. So I got you. Yeah, that's how I attack. You know, these drafts too. Is I'm always conscious of that overall component. I'm always tracking those categories weekly. What is the overall category? Where am I trailing? What do I need to hit every week? So I'm making those adjustments, but yeah, I'm looking at ceiling most, mostly first, you know, um, obviously you can't draft a bunch of injury risks and, and wild cards throughout your draft. You have to have that nucleus of guys that are getting, you know, give you those, those counting stats and the innings and whatnot. But to me, Jake is so far and away the best pitcher in baseball, assuming, you know, yeah. His arms intact, and from all accounts, it is from the GM. 
and Sam Yaldrson, you know, came out and said his UCL is fully intact. If we see him throwing 99 in March, you know, he's going to be another top eight, nine pick again. And if it's me in the draft, you know, I'm not going to bet on injury. I know there's, there's drafters out there that are super paranoid about that and uh, avoid them at all costs. Uh, that's not me. You know, I, I'll take that chance that he, that he's Jake DeGrom. He gives me 100 and gives me 160 innings. He easily a first round pick. He gets well, especially 80, 200. He's yeah. number one overall. Okay. He's he still answer. finished. Wasn't he still a top 10 guy last year, even though he missed like the last two months yeah, or something? Yeah. I mean, it's so crazy how good he is. It's just a rare, he's just a rare player. To me, it's, this is not your typical ace, you know, where, you know, you're just taking this stupid risk on. I mean, you know, he's a generational pitcher here that, you know, if you hit on him, you know, it's. Yeah, it's, you put, you put him with Scherzer. Could be fun. Could be fun. Right. Um, another guy that struggled tremendously last year, though, like we kind of mentioned the Bellinger of hitters. For pitchers, just I've been torn on him. I've been wanting to take him. I took him, I think, in one league so far because he's gone super late. But we know what he's done for the previous six, seven years. What are you doing with Kyle Hendricks? Oh, it was yeah. so bad last year. It was so bad last year. Yeah, I'm never uh, on the Kyle Hendricks train. So uh, that last year just only furthered that, that stance. But uh, if you're not getting strikeouts, I know True. I can't just depend on racials. True. I need that strikeout base, you know. We've seen outlier years where, you know, guys have great ratio years. You don't really see outlier years where the Hendricks have great strikeout, you know, K years. True. You know what I mean? So, yep. uh, yeah, it's just too dependent on, on ratios. I'd rather just pass, you know. Yep. That's a good point. Um, I don't really one other thing, any pitchers that don't provide that strikeout base. What when when you're talking strikeout base because strikeouts are ridiculous I get it because that's it they're not as often as they used because they aren't throwing as many innings anymore right. um, so those those elite strikeout guys are elite um, do you have like a threshold like a K percentage a K to walk percentage a K per nine like that you look for when you're drafting when you look at your stats like I want guys over this amount like I, that I'm trying to focus on yeah I mean usually at least a strikeout per inning like anyone okay. under that I'm not too keen on obviously you, you can't get a whole staff with, with strikeout guys like that but uh yeah yeah if i'm gonna invest in any pitcher with a you know decent pick you know top 10 rounds give or take they need to be somewhat uh, uh strikeout artists or at least have some sort of a ceiling there yeah. um, and that's why i'm never on hendrix <laughs> yeah no it's tough like i the reason why i liked hendrix at first is because he's an innings eater and he can get you you know this that and the other ratios but Strikeouts aren't there, and last year was dreadful. I, I luckily somehow missed him last year in most drafts. Uh, I think it's because I was literally saying, if you want Hendricks, just wait and draft Stroman. Like, that was my theory. If you want, that's, yeah, that's like, my just wait too. Is like, he's basically Hendricks going three or four rounds later. Yeah, that was so, that was my discussion every time. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and I, I like to do that with drafts. Like, I don't know if you're a baseball HQ guy uh, with the forecaster or not, but I think they have, they have the Mayberry method, which I think is amazing, because it'll show you guys that are similar to the player you're looking at, and it's like, oh, wait, I can rate seven rounds and get this similar production and get something else. I think it's a great way to think when you're drafting to kind of look for plans A, B and C in case things don't go well. Um, And and it helps out a ton. The other thing I want to ask you about pitching um, sticky stuff. We saw how crazy that was last year. We saw some of the big guys rebound towards the end of last year, which I'm a believer. They can still pitch. I'm not stupid or they're going to find the next best thing. That's what they're going to do too. Um, baseball's talks about bringing the universal sticky ball like they use in the Olympics and stuff, which guys like Joe Ryan just raved about, said it's freaking amazing. So we don't know all the details. But are you factoring any of these guys that saw massive decreases in sticky stuff? Are you trying to buy them as bounce backs? Or are you just kind of like worried about them? What are your thoughts on that situation? Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't concern myself too much. Garrett Cole is like the main culprit of that too. And I don't know where he's going even these days in dress, but He's a he's mid mid to late round one. Oh, is he still going? He's he, he, he's, the, he's usually the top pitcher off the board. Wow. Him him and Scherzer him and battle back and forth for top pitcher. Okay, off the board. yeah, I'll have zero Garrett Cole then this year because yeah. I do think he's he's he was impacted by that greatly. I think the numbers he bared that out also. Yeah. So that's shocking to me. He, he's still going as the number one or two pitcher off the board. Um, yeah, he. I mean, he's he's the one guy that I would probably avoid in drafts. Uh, I think he had like a four ERA. I think once that 
post sticky stuff. Uh, he had a rough go. For sure. Yeah, I mean, his numbers clearly dropped off. Bowers, another guy, which we don't know what if we'll even see him. I don't know what his status is. Yeah, that's a weird one. That's not a guy that I'll be targeting either. But uh, yeah, those are probably the big two that I'll just find other options for. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting ones to look at there, but maybe they figure that out and before next season. The other thing to figure out is the universal DH, which I'm pretty sure I think most of us are think is going to happen. If we see baseball next year, which I still believe we'll see the normal season, yeah, we're going to get a DH everywhere, which is about ding time. Does it, will that affect how you focus on drafts? Because it obviously opens up potentially more bats, even though I'm still a firm believer that not every team will have a designated DH. It'll be used as like a rest day situation, but – Will this uh, affect some players for you potentially uh, drafting? Yeah, I mean, maybe a few players here who are blocked or whatever, like a Dominic Smith comes to mind, even though he was pretty terrible last year. But I mean, that's a guy that would clearly benefit from the DH. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it, it holds too much. I'm, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head any big bats that were kind of, you know, blocked, whether position in the NL or whatnot. But yeah, I don't think it'll be too much of an impact overall. Yeah, maybe if anything's more on the pitcher side, nationally pitchers get a little bit, a yeah, little bit of a downgrade yeah. uh, potentially. Yeah, like I know, yeah. Silver, Silver, Rob Silver, and others have actually actually done the the math behind it, and I just like to talk about it and show numbers that oh, it makes sense. It's like to me, it's not astronomically different, but it definitely brings more of a guy into a tier type situation yeah. to, to to mix and match to get at least early on in drafts. I'd say it's it's more of a deciding factor potentially. Uh, so that's something to, to to monitor as well, but it'll be interesting. Uh, you mentioned I, I meant to bring it up earlier. So you mentioned no stacking in baseball with Toronto, and it's so funny because usually you don't in, in season long. You, you had Toronto. I know I believe it was Casey Chaw was going like all Reds, and he like was dominating with that. And it makes sense, Great American Small Park. They're going to crush. Right. Um, we know we can talk about pitching the AL Central. Focus on some of those pitchers because that division's so bad. I think I'm paying attention to it a little more than usual. I'm not focused on it at all. It's not a game plan going into it, but can you foresee yourself maybe doing something again? I know maybe not Toronto per se, but looking at a situation and going, I want to attack that again this year because it worked so well last year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think even on the pitching side too, like, uh, you know, even like the DeGrom Scherzer, you know, and the Dodgers guys too, I like attacking those good teams and good parks, right? With because you're gonna get wins, you're gonna get the strikeouts, you're gonna get the rate. I mean, to me, it's just it's so easy, you know, to foresee just a huge, you know, pitching staff if you just find those those right spots. Um, as far as the hitting goes, yeah, I haven't dug in too much on that too. And I guess once I see more, get into the ADP more, and see kind of where the values are in the market, and maybe that may change my mind a little bit. And, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'll tell my head now. I don't have any at this point. Yeah, it's going to be interesting as, as the ADP keeps changing. It's already changed a bunch in like the last month as people are drafting more. Obviously, I once we people draft DCs in November, and, and I was no. messing with uh, Zach on that. I'm like, you got like, that's why I just do the fifth. Fish did yeah. like 15 drafts or something. And I saw it's crazy. Like, I was giving, I was giving Fish such a hard time when, when he was on a few weeks ago. I'm like, you're freaking crazy, dude. Like, you're freaking ridiculous. Like, I love draft. That's why I do the 50s or I'll do some cheaper, like, best balls somewhere just to keep my brain moving on, on getting the player pools. But I'm not investing big money right now. This is freaking crazy. Yeah. And obviously, you can win. Like, Zach even, he tweeted out some charts. Some You can yeah, win any time of the year. Yeah. Obvi- obviously true. I'm not comfortable with it. <laughs> That's all I know. So, I'm just if you're not comfortable drafting and those DCs would barely know, you know, in February what some of these rosters will look look like, you know. So in November, it's just it's yeah. wild. But hey, you get yeah. some crazy values now too. So that that's that's the kicker. Is like you can get some serious values, but you can also get some serious duds. Like I had at least one player on every roster last year that drafted before January that didn't even make a team. So <laughs> it's just it's, you're, it's it's a weird deal. It's it's a very very weird weird deal. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap this up. Um, question for you you had such success in 2021 uh there's goods there's bads you learned all we we learn every year we do stuff so you you got all that um with the changes coming in 2022 and everything what uh, strategies or lessons learned from 2021 are you likely to do or not do in 2022 it's funny i've been asked this question before too and uh and the answer you know a lot of people kind of they take it the wrong way but i 
I said, I'm not going to change too much from what, mm-hmm. from what I do, at least. I think my, my process kind of works what I do. Uh, I think maybe elements within my, my process, uh, I might have to sharpen, you know, whether it's player analysis or, um, uh, you know, pitching depth, you know, and more into the metrics space. Um, but to be honest, I listen to a lot of you guys to do the work for me. And then I just kind of soak up that information from you guys. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think, you know, I don't want to change something that's working for, for myself. Um, uh, I know that kind of sounds cocky or whatever, but no, not at all. But, uh, yeah, yeah. if if, it's been working for for years Mm -hmm. and it's something I believe in and I just continue to keep, keep on doing it until uh, I see different results basically. (laughs) Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It makes total sense. Um, and, and, and it's not cocky to me, at least somebody that's been playing as long as I have and others should understand that it's like, you've worked so hard on your system to get here. And it's not that you're going to go hundred percent. You said you're going to tweak it. You're going to do this, that, and you, you're adjustable in your drafts. But if people have listened to the conversation we've had, you've already said like, you know, I look for this value here. Well, that's still learning and adjusting to situations. Yeah, so yeah. it's, it's not like you're walking and going, Nope, we're doing it this way. It sounds, no, it's not, no, but yeah, yeah. You, you have your strategy, which allows you to learn and adapt and do things. And, and that's very good. Cause there is a, there is logic for some to have like a strict. This is what we're doing. I get it. You got to stay disciplined, otherwise you're going to go off the rails. Uh, that's how it works. But the way these drafts go these days, and and you got you you'll probably admit it. There's so many smart players now, like so many ridiculously smart players that are going to think the same thing you are on so many players. Like you cannot walk in the room going, "I'm going to get these 23 guys." That's just not going to happen. I can no no world is that ever going to happen. So you have to be able to adjust, and that, that's what you're saying with, with your deal. So it's not cocky to me. I totally get what you're saying, and um, it's working. I think it's still in draft. Yeah, I think it's there's a certain feel that you have to have inside the draft room where you can kind of adjust on the fly, where I think a lot of owners, you know, they kind of, with that, you know, clock, that 60-second clock, uh, you know, if a player gets sniped, you know, they don't know what to do. They, their options yeah. to go, you know, they just, you know. That 60-second clock, they, man. Yeah. I'd, I'd recommend for some people if you're not comfortable in the 60 second clock, do a couple 60 second somethings beforehand because yeah. it's gonna shock you to your core real <laughs> quick if if you're not ready to adapt to that. Yeah, and and I just think for me personally, I, have, I usually have a good sense of the draft room where you know I have a read on other owners what they need. It's not only about what you need, you know, yep. for your own team, but you gotta be conscious of what the teams around you need. Yep. And I feel like it's kind of understated in, mm-hmm. in current drafts. So that yeah. that's a great point because there's a you know how certain people draft so you can play that angle if you want but b use the roster grid on an fpc like it's huge going yeah. hey this guy's got zero catchers or this guy's like you said even with your vlad and bellinger thing well this guy's not a first baseman he's gonna take like you, you knew that going in your head yeah. and that's part of the deal because um real when it comes to kds this is can be important when you're looking at this stuff do you prefer a certain section of the draft? Like, do you prefer the turn? So, you know, like, hey, I got two guys behind me. It'll help me with this pick so I can see where they kind of need to go type thing. Or do you want to be more like in the middle? Uh, I think it depends really on my, uh, between the 12 and the 15 teamers. I feel like a 15 teamers, you really don't want to be stuck on the ends there and the 14. You can miss out on a lot. Yeah, those runs. I mean, it's just a tough, tough position to be in. Whereas in the 12 teamers, I, I honestly don't even care where I, you could, draft a monster from any, any spot in that draft. Um, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. It's been an awesome, awesome draft strategy talk. A lot of good, uh, good information. I love the 12 team conversation because I don't think it gets discussed enough. And it's, it's a big difference between 15s and 12s. It is both doable, both fun, but they're different animals in a big, big way. So I appreciate the talk. And uh, when do you, when do you plan on starting your, your, your drafting? Oof. Yeah, I'm usually so I'm right. I'm in primetime football mode right now for uh, until at least you know mid January, whenever the season's end. But uh, once football ends, I'm usually I go right into the baseball tank and I'm drafting usually February into you know the season starts. So um, yeah, but once I get down into baseball mode, I'm just crazy focused on that, and that's when it all begins. Are you doing any lives or are you doing them all online? You know, I was thinking about doing, I haven't done the, the live ones yet. Um, the football I went out there did, did that this year, it was fun. So yeah, I might, I might head out there to Vegas and try it out this year. We'll see. 
we'll see what the schedule looks like. You know, two kids and John. Yeah, I get it. It's like, a tough at times. Yeah. <laughs> It's tough. Like I, I love going yeah. to first pitch Arizona. It's like I, I can't do both. It's just not going to happen. So I got pick pick your poison type thing. And you mentioned that the clock or the clock, sixty second clock, a sixty second live clock, even more fun, people. So, yeah, right. Even more fun. Yeah, no, so. I think I think it'd be fun. I know they do uh, in, in New York. They do some live drafts too. Maybe I could check one of those out this year. Yeah, and I, I know a lot of people go up there. I, I told um, we were talking with some guys in Arizona this year. They need to do more like not just the mains and the supers. Do a couple like OCs and some other yeah, things. Oh, you'll yeah. get even more. You'll get even more people there to like drag. Yeah, like, it'll so turn into a big old deal. Yeah, and I found too. Yeah, it's definitely a different, you know, atmosphere. It's fun. You know, it's just seeing people you're drafting them. You know, live. It's just a different feel yeah. completely. So I enjoy. It's it. awesome. It's definitely awesome. Well, what was awesome was I enjoyed chatting with you. It was a lot of fun. Hey, um, yeah. What? Real quick, I want to tell you, I've been a fan of yours since <sighs> the early days, uh, going back a few years now. So it's it's been nice seeing you kind of rise from the ranks. I feel like it's well deserved, and Thank you're you. definitely one of you know the better podcasters out there. So I appreciate you and uh, oh, you, you and uh, Toby. So keep on uh, doing a good job. So. Well, I truly appreciate it. Uh, it means a lot to me because uh, for the longest time, I didn't think anybody that actually played a uh, big time fantasy gave a crap about this show. So I, I uh, appreciate yeah, that. I was listening to you like back in 18, I want to say, like it's yeah, been a so few years. For, almost the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't quite in the, very, in the, in the beginning, maybe yeah. your second year doing it, but yeah, yeah I, I started listening then and I still listen to this day. So I appreciate well. it. I truly Keep appreciate it. it. I, I'm looking forward to having you on again sometime. We'll talk some more players and everything then, but I uh, just, the, the discussion was great. I didn't even need to talk about the players too much this episode. It was great to yeah, talk to strategy absolutely. with you and, and getting ready. So, yeah, we'll, we'll chat it up some more, maybe uh, maybe February. So let you get some get your feet wet in the baseball prep, and we'll we'll talk some more, some more players and whatnot. But it was a pleasure, and we'll do it again sometime. And good luck in the rest of your fantasy uh, football season. Go go, go, go some more green. Appreciate How's that sound? There we go. <laughs> Appreciate it, Bubba. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Everybody go check him out on Twitter at the underscore guilds, G-I-L-D-Z. And make sure you follow the NFPC at the NFPC, not NFPC. You're going to want to do that too. So check all that <laughs> stuff out. But uh, this was Bench with Bubba episode 422. Catch you guys next time.